This episode is brought to you by the 35th Annual Meeting of the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, working together for the global advancement of safe and healthy pregnancies. To find out more and register online, go to www.smfm.org. You're listening to the American Journal of Perinatology podcast. Hosted by Dr. Bill Goodnight and Dr. Chris Robinson, each month we take an in-depth look at a paper published in the American Journal of Perinatology. Today we have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Laura Friel on behalf of her co-authors to discuss their work, The Impact of Non-Invasive Prenatal Testing on the Practice of Maternal Fetal Medicine. The last 20 years, has demonstrated an evolution in the methods used to identify pregnancies at risk for fetal aneuploidy. Such screening strategies have included using maternal age as a risk factor, ultrasound risk adjustment strategies, and combined biochemical and ultrasound screening. At-risk pregnancies are then offered prenatal diagnosis using chorionic villus sampling, CVS, or amniocentesis. In 2012, multiple clinical studies demonstrated that analysis of cell-free fetal DNA found in maternal circulation, also termed non-invasive prenatal testing, can provide a screening test with improved sensitivity and specificity for the common aneuploidies. The detection rates for Down syndrome and trisomy 13 with non-invasive prenatal testing are reported to be 97 to 100% and for trisomy 13, 79 to 92%, all with false positive rates less than 1%. The introduction of NIPT may thus have an impact on the use of invasive testing in clinical practice. To address this issue, the authors performed a retrospective review of patients who underwent prenatal genetic counseling for advanced maternal age or a positive maternal serum screen prior to 22 weeks gestational age. The rate of invasive diagnostic testing was measured by evaluating groups of these patients at times before and after the availability of non-invasive prenatal testing. Each group was also divided into the gestational age at the time of counseling, divided either before or after 14 weeks estimated gestational age. In addition, the authors measured the per capita prenatal testing reimbursement for each time period. When evaluating the patients in each time frame, there were no differences in maternal characteristics such as age, parity, or insurance status. The authors demonstrated several findings. First, the uptake of first trimester combined screening declined after the addition of non-invasive prenatal testing from 89.1% to 59.1% among first trimester patients. Number two, there was no change in utilization of CVS among first trimester patients with rates before NIPT of 20% and after NIPT of 14%. Number three, there was a decrease in amniocentesis utilization from 35% to 17.9%. Number four, there was no change in the rate of women choosing no genetic screening or testing across the two time frames. And number five, This resulted in a 15.8% decrease in per capita testing reimbursement across the same time frames. These data suggest a decrease in first trimester NT screening and low uptake of amniocentesis since the development of non-invasive prenatal testing. Dr. Friel, thanks again for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. First off, can you describe your primary motivation for doing this study and what your specific aim or what your ultimate goal of doing this study was? 
Yes. With the introduction of non-invasive prenatal testing via cell-free fetal DNA in the maternal circulation, it's a highly sensitive and specific new testing option. I really felt like this was going to change prenatal testing for the future, and our objective was to study how it would impact, really the immediate impact of NIPT specifically on the uptake of first trimester screening and invasive genetic testing. Did you have a preconceived ideas of what you thought was going to happen when we introduced an IPT? Yes. We really thought that invasive genetic testing rates would go down with this introduction of NIPT because more people would be possibly comfortable with NIPT as a better screening tool. Can you outline your current criteria for how you you use an IPT and how you counsel patients about it, who's a good candidate, who would not necessarily be a candidate. We are counseling all patients with advanced maternal age, all patients with positive maternal serum screening with or without additional indications. Patients that have abnormal ultrasound findings by themselves without being high risk by advanced maternal age or a positive serum screen, we really are not recommending NIPT in that situation because we feel that full karyotype and possibly chromosomal microarray analysis is a better testing option for them, although NIPT is discussed in those situations. In your first trimester patients, I think is where we saw the biggest change or the biggest shift in screening strategies or screening uptake of different tests. Has your counseling changed in those patients since the introduction of NIPT? The counseling procedure is much lengthier, obviously, with the introduction of NIPT because we have to discuss invasive genetic testing, combined first trimester screen, and now risks and benefits of NIPT as well, but in the first trimester we've seen a decrease by about 30% of patients choosing combined first trimester screen after NIPT compared to before NIPT. So they were choosing first trimester screen at a rate of 89.1% before the new testing option and then 59.1% after NIPT was introduced. Do you have thoughts on why that didn't result or why there was not a change in the utilization of chorionic villa sampling in the first trimester? Or do you have different indications for when you're offering CBS? For patients who are really looking for very early diagnostic information, not just a screen, but diagnostic information, their only option is the CVS, and that's why I think that rate didn't decrease significantly. So before NIPT, it was 20%, and after NIPT, it went down to 14%, but that was not a significant difference. So this data would suggest that there's likely a subset of patients who are going to prefer early complete karyotype testing over a screening test. Absolutely. I believe that's true. Um, Especially for patients who, if they've had CVS with a prior pregnancy, then they're most comfortable with having full information for subsequent pregnancy. So, yes, I think there's always going to be that subset of patients. We've sort of talked about it briefly, but there are likely indications where you would recommend invasive testing such as CVS or amniocentesis over NIPT. And I think you mentioned an abnormal ultrasound that may be suggestive of something other than the common aneuploidies. Are there other indications where your counseling more recommends CVS or amniocentesis? 
Most commonly, that would be for the abnormal ultrasounds. Also, if the patient is high risk by a positive antiemployee screen or AMA, but there were multiple anomalies that may not be consistent with one of the common antiemployees. So with a reduction in first trimester screens and an increase in NIPT, what positive impacts do you think you foresee from this trend? Oh, I think there's going to be much less loss of pregnancy for invasive genetic testing that is no longer performed. So a reduction in diagnostic testing for yes. screen positive tests that we would see from prior combined first trimester screening? That's correct. Do you foresee negative impacts from this shift to the NIPT? I think we have yet to see what the actual false positive and false negative rates are in clinical practice outside of a clinical trial. Certainly, we've had false positive results. Uh, the false negatives are the most scary that we would not know of a positive fetus with a negative NIPT test. It appears that those numbers still require some investigating to fine tune that, especially as NIPT expands out into broader or different populations. I think we're all familiar with some case series that suggest some unexpected or screen positive or false positive results from the NIPTs. I would assume that your group is counseling patients about some of the unknowns when we're newly introducing NIPT. Absolutely, and obviously we need more information for NIPT in twin pregnancies. We need more information on NIPT in the low-risk population. So there's a lot of work to be done. In your practice, I think a lot of us practice in an academic or referral-based setting. What has been your experience with NIPT take and use? This is a little bit outside of the study, but in your general OB providers or your referring practice? Yes, we're starting to see more NIPT performed by the general OBGYN in their offices, and then we compared immediately after it was introduced. We are now seeing more and more patients that have had an NIPT in their doctor's office, and we're being sent patients for counseling with a positive NIPT. So I know you looked at somewhat of the economic impact on your practice with the shifts or the introduction of NIPT. Can you comment on what you found regarding the per capita reimbursement across these two time periods? We looked at the per capita testing reimbursement, which was for our group about 15.8% less following the introduction of NIPT, and the absolute numbers were about $85 per capita versus $101 per person, and that might be even more severely decreased in providers who don't do the first trimester ultrasound, whether or not the patient is choosing NIPT. So we feel strongly, as do the ISWAG consensus statement, that all women should have a first trimester ultrasound, irregardless of any screening that they should choose in the pregnancy. And so we still do perform all of those ultrasounds, no matter what choice the patient has for their genetic testing. It seems like the change in reimbursement has a lot to do with just the, a reduction in the number of nuchal translucency-specific screens. Yes. Do you follow up patients any differently who elect now in, in non-invasive prenatal testing in the first trimester compared to a patient who had a first trimester screen, meaning other ultrasounds, MSAFP screening, or other follow-up? Even if they have a negative NIPT, we 
still perform a comprehensive ultrasound instead of the basic anatomy scan. There are recommendations not to do the genetic scan with the soft markers from the ISWAD consensus statement, of course, but we do the comprehensive ultrasound. And that's, again, we're talking about the patient population who's currently candidates for NIPT, which would be people who have some other underlying risk factor for aneuploidy or high-risk pregnancy, such as advanced maternal age or some other abnormal screen. That's correct. Well, I think that all of us who do prenatal diagnosis are experiencing similar trends in our practice, and we await the next level of follow-up to the study, such as you guys have performed now. Do you have plans to continue to follow up these rates and trends and any future studies on this? Yes, we would like to look at the immediate impact of NIPT. I think there's going to be stronger trends possibly in the same direction with even lower first trimester screens than we found in our study and even less invasive genetic testing, at least in the second trimester, as referring physicians and patients learn more about NIPT. We are also investigating both patient and provider knowledge and understanding of NIPT, and that's a survey. That's great, and I think that there's a lot of interest looking at uptake of aneuploidy screening based on the degree of patients' understanding and education regarding these testing. And I think there have been studies that show varying levels of uptake of screening tests as patients' education and understanding of the options available improves or changes. And I believe that it's imperative that clinicians educate themselves about NIPT and its introduction because it's transforming prenatal testing, that a family history and reviewing patient records should determine whether the patient should be an appropriate candidate, and pre-test counseling is absolutely essential so that she understands the implication of both the positive and the negative results. I think most of the societal recommendations do feel that that pre-test counseling is very important as we move forward with NIPT testing and whatever may be next in our screening and testing armamentarium. Dr. Friel, I want to thank you for joining us today, and congratulations again on your manuscript. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. That was the American Journal of Perinatology podcast. Thank you for listening. To find out more and to read this month's highlighted paper, go to www.tima.com forward slash AJP, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com AMJ Perinatology. If you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on iTunes and join us next month when we will discuss another paper from the pages of the American Journal of Perinatology. This episode was brought to you by the 35th Annual Meeting of the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine working together for the global advancement of safe and healthy pregnancies. To find out more and register online, go to www.smfm.org.